It really is a privilege to share God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, could you please turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 all the way down to about 17, but we'll primarily stay within 1 to 15. Again, Colossians 3, 1, I'm going to read from there, so. This is God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, All these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of God of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, uh, to share your word. God, I pray that it would hide behind the cross and that these teens and parents would see you better. Uh, that the glory of your son would be very obvious. That, that to, to, to lift him up and that the words that I would say would glorify you, that would, that would continue to encourage our youth, would encourage our parents as we pursue holiness, as we seek to be like you as you are holy. Holy Spirit, fill us now as we, we listen to your word, illuminate the scriptures so that we might have better insight and better understanding, uh, and that we might be able to apply it to live a life that is uh, worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. We pray the same of Christ. Amen. Um, well, as I said earlier, guys, um, it really is uh, a privilege to share God's word with you. Um, I really, over the last 
uh, few months that I have had the privilege of serving here in Crossfire have really come to love you guys. And, and even though I don't know all of you incredibly uh, deep, um, just just being around you, I, I just really, really love you guys, uh, parents and teens included in that. Um, even, I was just blessed even by the worship team leading us. I mean, wasn't that great, yes. you know? Um, and it's such a yeah, blessing to have Devin lead and Seth and, yep. and everyone who was here. Um, you know, um, it was just, I don't know, it, it's great that you are using your gifts to glorify your Savior. And uh, that, that encourages me. So praise God. Um, so last month, just by way of recap, for those who might not have been here, for those who were here, uh, Mr. Edder touched on how, as Christians, we ought to pursue holiness, that we ought to be <clears throat> set apart like God, um, who is holy, who is other, and not be conformed to this world's mold that um, is is very attractive at times. And today, we're going to hit on some similar themes as, as well as what it means to be equipped in this pursuit of holiness. And so, uh, again, we just read a fee, um, sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, just to provide some context. Uh, again, the author here, if you're taking notes, uh, the Apostle Paul, under house arrest in Rome, is writing this letter. Uh, approximately A.D. 63, again, 30 years or so after Christ's death and resurrection. And the audience is a church at Colossae, located in Asia Minor, uh, otherwise known as modern-day Turkey. And the purpose of this letter, primarily, but again, kind of an overarching purpose among many, is that Paul hears from a fellow brother in the faith, Epaphras, who alerts uh, him of false teaching that's uh, becoming pervasive, um, which is a very common theme if you look within New Testament scripture. A lot of false teachers infiltrating the church, um, seeking to distort true biblical doctrine, uh, to make it that of man, to make it that of Satan, satanic purposes. And within this letter, we have kind of this sliver in verse three, uh, chapter three, which talks about a call to holiness among what Paul is trying to communicate to this church. And so, uh, what, what we're going to be focused on today, if, again, if you're jotting notes, is kind of this overall theme, is that Christians establish habits of holiness. Christians Establish habits of holiness. And we're going to talk about, again, just three points kind of stemming off Christians establishing habits of holiness. The first is uh, to remember our union. The second is to put off. And the third is to put on. Again, I'll, I'll just state those again. Again, Christians establish habits of holiness to remember our union, number one, to put off. And number three, to put on. Now, starting off in uh, verse one, Paul, um, when talking about this first point, remembering our union, Paul lays out the truth about what God has already done for this church of Christians, this 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 body of believers. In verse one, you, this is what we read. It says, "If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." Further, he talks about how we have died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God, and Christ, who is your life, appears. That we will also then appear with Him in glory. Here we have. 
this repetition um, of of what what has been done on behalf, what what the what otherwise is known as the indicative, the truths that are already present, and the purpose is ultimately to point to that upward identity. He 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 is he is pointing the church of Colossae's eyes upward to Christ, their their Savior, their God, and in other words. He is trying to say, church, this is who you really are. This is your identity. Now you might ask, why is that important? Why is it important to talk about how that we've been raised? Obviously, this is talking about spiritually speaking. Physically, these people have not been raised. This is in terms of their inward, being born again, being raised with Christ, spiritually speaking, that they are, they have this union with Christ based upon the fact that they have put their faith, they've repented, and put their faith and trust in Jesus who is raised. Why does he do this? Well, as Mr. Edder mentioned last month, in order to lay our lives down for the sake of Christ, we must look to him who did it first. You have to. It's essential that if we ought to uh, live a holy life, we have to look at the first person, the only person who ever did it perfect, whoever did it and, and nailed it, and that is Jesus. No other religion in the world offers such a personal and yet powerful God who willingly entered history, became a man, born of a virgin, to dwell among his people. As we talked about last year, that he dwelt among his people. He tabernacled among his people. And now, if you're a Christian, he indwells his people with, by his Holy Spirit. There's no other religion. No other religion. No other religion. You will not find a single religion that shows that there is such closeness and yet such, it's such, such otherness, if you will. We are certainly different than God. Um, and even with our most recent women's book study, uh, talking about ten ways that God is not like us or we're not like God. I mean, there is, I mean, infinite ways that we talk about how God is not like us. And yet that was not separate from his personal nature of coming down and being among his people. And as we read scriptures, we often see that God's gracious provision and providing will proceed, comes before his expectations. Case in point, as we talked about in Genesis, as we've been going through not only Sundays, but previously last year, uh, um, we talked about how God provided the garden for Adam and Eve to enjoy everything, the splendor, the aesthetics, I mean, the whole nine, and then he provides the commandment. I mean, he provides what is, I mean, like, for them to enjoy not only what they see, but him himself to dwell and be among, to actually walk with God. And then he provides a commandment. Obviously, we know that then that was broken. We heard about from Mr. Reyes just this past Sunday that that was clearly rejected. But the purpose, again, that Paul is trying to lay out is that he's trying to lay out God's provision. He's trying to lay out what, what Christ has done and your new identity that exists before laying out the, what are called imperatives, what we must do, what is necessary to live a holy life. So, so, um, so many times, uh, we can get caught up in trying to muster our motivation to say, I need to do it for external reasons. I need to do it, but we have our motivation. We have our truth. We have what's, been already done before us. And that's why we say, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I would, I would just encourage you teens, 
um, if you struggle with um, feeling like living as a Christian is a duty, remember the delight of the truth that Christ has, in fact, died for your sins. Like that, that's, that's huge. The duty will become delight when you recognize the truth of what Christ has done. I mean, that's, and it's not going to be always like that. There's going to be that struggle, that tension, like, oh man, like it's still, it's hard. And we're going to talk about why that's hard. But again, Paul lays out the truth of what God has already done so that we might be motivated by his gracious offer and live a life that is holy. The one thing I also want to make mention is not only what has been done, but will be done. In verse 4, it says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is a future tense church. This is a future tense teens. This is a future tense parents that we have looked forward to. That, that Christ didn't just do something and say, okay, great, live your life. But there's nothing to look forward to. There was an end goal for us to then be with him in eternity. And that's something that then has us looking forward. We see what has been done and then we continue to press forward and see that Christ, I mean, he's, he's waiting for us to be joined together. I mean, that's, that's exciting. Um, and that gives us future hope for those times where we can feel like life is just boring and mundane. And if we don't, why are we doing this? Like, what's the purpose? Again, no other religion offers such security and assurance of salvation and hope for the future. Other religions, you might have a shot. If it's a good day. Even, 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 even worldviews that seek to distort this biblical text say, Hey, it's just got, you just have to have enough good works. You just have to have. But clearly, according to scripture, it's about what Christ has done, not what you did, only about what Christ has done, and that's our future hope. Faith in Christ alone. So, moving from there, um, point two, put off. Um, I'm just gonna read verses five through nine. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Now, two, two particular pieces before you, we even get into a whole list of things that Paul lays out. Verse 5, put to death therefore. We're just going to stop right there. Put to death there. Why is that significant? Mr. Sarita, why are you stopping there? Um, put to death. That's very strong language. There's not many times in your re- regular life where someone is asking you or you are telling someone, I'm going to put this to death. Most times that means we need to be having some help and intervention because <laughs> you're... Um, you know, I mean, if you're saying like, ah, oh, man, like I can't stand this dog. I need to put it to death. No, you will never say that. You would enjoy your, regardless of how your dog treats you, if you have pets, cats, dogs, birds, um, you would never say that, uh, no matter how. Again, if, if that would ever happen and you said that you would put someone to death, again, that's, that's troubling. If a student told me that, I would have to report that. Um, however, in the context of scripture, it's very applicable. And the reason why is because Put to death in the original means to, again, as it states, to view as a corpse, to sever, to deprive of life or energizing power. And as Mr. Etter mentioned last month, Christians live holy lives of sacrifice, which means that this is an active lifestyle. It's not a passive one. You can't just get away with putting things to death with your hands folded. Wouldn't make sense now. 
And you might ask, well, why does it, why does God require of, you know, this of us? It's because of the therefore. Anytime teens, again, this is one of the, I, I heard this one time when we were at a men's Bible study here at Christ Community. And one of our brothers, he said, anytime you see therefore, you will always want to ask what it's there for. Um, so you see a therefore, you always want to look prior to that to see why was that there for. And so we just talked about in verses 1 through 4 that Paul lays out our identity in Christ. And so in light of what has been done, we understand what we must do. We put to death. We, we mortify the flesh. We render it useless. Verse 5 talks about what is earthly in you. And then in verse 5 and then verses 8 and 9, we see a list of sin. I'm just going to review them again. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, anger, wrath, malice, slander, lying. I'll just ask you, can you identify with any of those? Can you identify with anger? I know I can. Can you identify with these evil desires, impurity, passion? These these sins, these, uh, these ungodly traits are focused on our not only our relationship with God, but also with others. And if you're not a Christian here today, I just want you to pay close attention to, to verse 6. If you are a Christian, pay attention because you will encounter those who are not Christians. So, so Paul lays out, again, what we have with Christ, what we must do to these things. But then after, right in the middle, he says in verse 6, on account of these things, these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now, you might say, well, Mr. Sarita, I I don't struggle with any of those. So I guess the wrath of God isn't coming on those, like, on the things that maybe I struggle with or somebody else might. Obviously, Paul is writing a letter, and he does not have to, he does not have to be exhaustible or exhaust the list of things that are ungodly in order to make his point. The fact of the matter is, these are, any of these things are against God. These things are idolatry, and so idolatry is anything that says, uh, I'm going to break the commandment of putting something else before God. Period. That's it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Paul doesn't have to lay out every single thing. We'd probably be here for the entire evening. He wouldn't get his point across. And so the point is to say that if you are not a Christian, and unless you've been perfect, which is impossible, you will face wrath indefinitely. It's a, it's a promise here. If we believe God's word to be true, which it is, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So I would just, I would really, I would really just, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're questioning, I would just, would you repent, please? Would you repent? Would you turn from yourself, that, that conscience that's telling you, I know I am not a perfect person, but I want to pretend like I kind of am good enough. And God says in his word, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. No exceptions. No exceptions. And that's a hard truth, teens. That's a hard truth to get through. It's, it's hard to look upon those in your class, your co-ops, or, or, or in your schools, your sports teams, your music teams, and say, on account, of the, uh, on account of these things that you are doing, you are choosing, the wrath of God is coming upon you. And, it, and, and, and it, I don't know when that is. You know, that, 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 that should move us uh, to humility in both, if you're not a Christian, you are a Christian, because it should move us to be very fearful if you're not a Christian under the very, very powerful 
holy God, but also then move us towards humility and sobering uh, compassion for those who haven't. And and what are we doing about that? Like that that's huge. I mean, I ask myself that all the time. Um, just like, what am I doing for these people? Am I giving them soft truths, or am I giving them truly what I know to be the real truth? Is that wrath of God is coming? And if you are a Christian here today, in addition to having that compassion for those who aren't saved already, um, you know, there's also really kind of uh, within that kind of same almost dovetail together. There's this um, flicker of hope and looking back on what you once did. In verse 7, it says, in these, talking about the same list that Paul is referring to, the wrath of God is coming, it says, in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. I know for me, when I became a Christian at a very young age, I could say that I was still walking. Like I began, I, I was, I was still dealing with that. The fact that I was so familiar with walking in these things, I had to learn these new patterns by the Holy Spirit's help, and then little by little, understanding it. Wow, I can look back on, on who I was even two years ago, five years ago, and say, "Wow, I once walked in this." Meaning, I actively pursued it, and now I don't. I, I seek, I seek to run and. And, and what's really important, guys, is that when it comes to uh, the sin that we struggle with, the things that are against God, idolatry, it's not enough to just, again, simply walk away and say, oh, well, I'll visit, I'll visit you at a later time. It's okay. I'll take a small hiatus, a month maybe from this, maybe to please someone, maybe to feel like that's what this is, you know, that's the next decision. It says right here in the next verse, but now you must put them all away. Two key words, now and all. Now. This is present. You once walked in darkness. Before you were a Christian, you once enjoyed to walk in darkness. But now when you are a Christian, you are saved, you are born again to a living hope, you put them all away. No associations, no flirtations, no returning. When I was in high school, um, I had a long-term relationship, or at least it appeared a long-term relationship of about two years. Um, starting when I was about a junior in high school, uh, we eventually, again, to keep it a long story short, we eventually broke up because she was very honest with the fact that she didn't love Jesus. I mean, she was very straight. I remember having a conversation. We were at a Panera, and she just was saying, hey, Josh, I can't, I can't hold you back. Like, I, I know your heart is set on Christ, and I don't want to take that from you. I can't. And I really appreciated that. And yet at the same time, I was honest with myself to not pursue this dangerous relationship with this girl who didn't love Jesus. Um, I still struggled to put all my memories away. Because I can't, I can't take that back. I can't take, I couldn't take it back. I still had the consequences of my sin against her, with her, and so all of this is still ingrained in my mind, and for months I kept cards, I kept letters, I kept photos, digital hard copy photos, videos of just, just, I mean, just endless amounts of time. Two years, you collect a lot of stuff. Bottle caps, napkins, I mean, like a whole shoebox full of this stuff, just, in my closet. And occasionally, 
when I needed to pick me up, when I kind of just felt like I didn't want to be single, when I felt like I was wanting to have attention that I once knew, I would break them out. You know, I would gravitate to these items, even though I knew it was unhelpful. I knew it was destructive. I knew that my, my flesh, my, my, my old self was drawing me to these things because I knew that God didn't approve of it. In Colossians 3, God is calling us to break ties with our old self and run. Run. No hesitations. No second guessing. Well, I mean like just a little bit. Just a little bit of this sin won't harm anyone. Just a little bit of me rummaging through my old memories of this girl who isn't a Christian, who would not promote godliness for me. No big deal. It's not going to affect anyone. I'm not even in a relationship. And even if I was, you know, no one would have to know. As Christians, we can't afford small peaks of disobedience because they can destroy us. Point blank. They can destroy us. And so I'll ask you the same question. Um, As Mr. Edder asked last, last month, do you turn from ungodliness when it comes your way? As if you're a Christian, do you turn from ungodliness when it comes your way? Or do you think, how far can I go before this is sin? How far can I go? How far, how far can I push the line? If the line's right there, Mr. Sear, just tell me how far I can get as close to it before I'm not sinning. God, just tell me, just, I can't see it in the words, so like, where's the scripture that says I can't do this? You know, it often goes the same, and, and, and that's so dangerous. Would you flirt with the idea of being so close to a cliff that you're just trying to hang off just so you don't fall off? I mean, if you compare it to that, it is, Silly. It's, it's foolish almost to think that, like, how far can I get close to the edge of a cliff before I fall? Well, the only way you'll know is when you do. And it's over. And it's destructive. And it's terrible. It's, it's, it's something that I know I've seen, um, not only with dabbling, you know, again, dabbling, kind of redabbling in, in that old self myself, but also plenty of friends who I had, especially in college, who were so passionate, so zealous, so loving of God, and then it was just little by little, that, that one time just not staying connected, that one time not returning that text, and just but just continuing to start these relationships with these people that they knew were not good company and corrupting their character just a little bit over time. It's a slow fade. It's just, it's slow. And Mr. Mr. Edder and Mr. Reyes have talked about that on Sundays and even with us at Crossfire. It's a slow fade. Sometimes you might see it's like drastic, but many times it's just slow over time. And so um, I'm actually just going to read again. This is just just reinforcing the um, kind of the analogy uh, in regards to sin uh, um, and our tendencies. This is uh, Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Highly recommend this book, teens. Honestly, this is such a good read. Uh, very, very deep, but such power. It's so so easy to palate. You know, you, you, when you're, you want to get through a book really fast, but has something that's just, boom, mind-blowing. Jerry Bridges, Pursuit of Holiness. Highly recommend it. Um, so he says this. Um, this is actually in his, in his chapter, Putting Sin to Death. He says, The Apostle John said, My dear children, and this is referring to First John I write this to to you so that you will not sin. The whole purpose of John's letter, he says, is that we not sin. One day I was studying this chapter and I realized that my personal life's objective regarding holiness was less than that of John's. He was saying, in effect, make it your aim not to sin. As I thought about this, I realized that deep within my heart, my real aim was to not sin very much. 
I found it difficult to say, yes, Lord, from here on, I will make it my aim not to sin. I realized God was calling me that day to a deeper level of commitment to holiness than I had previously been willing to make. Can you imagine? This is, this is, this is the, this is the thing that got me. I highlighted this part. Can you imagine a soldier going into battle with the, the aim of not getting hit very much? The very suggestion is ridiculous. His aim is not to get hit at all. Yet if we have not made a commitment to holiness without exception, we are like a soldier going into battle with the aim of not getting hit very much. We can be sure if that is our aim, we will be hit, not with bullets, but with temptation over and over again. We often think that our flesh and the world and Satan are are, are not as bad as the Bible portrays them, um, but, you know, not with the mission to kill, uh, but they are powerful. First uh, Peter says that, that the devil is like a roaring lion who wants to devour you, and he will use every means necessary to get you off, your, your eyes off of Christ and onto yourself and onto the things of this world. And I would encourage you, teens, again, Run as far from the line of destruction as possible toward Christ, who is your life and your only fortress. We talked about that. We sang that. He's a mighty fortress, is our God. Um, again, if, if, there, if there's anything that you're thinking about, yeah, Mrs. Strita, this is, uh, this is something I don't want to tell someone. This is something I'm trying to keep to myself. Even if it seems so small, um, over time will grow. And so I encourage you, teens, uh, to be honest with your parents, to be honest with us, if if that is um, something you encounter, if we ever have an opportunity to talk to you, um, uh, confess again uh, and, and, and obtain mercy from the Lord. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you all in righteousness, to forgive you of your sins. He is He is not, as I used to think, this old man pointing with a finger and saying, you are awful and I can't believe you. Why would you do that? I'm so disappointed. That's what Satan wants you to believe. That shame and guilt to, to keep you away from, from confessing those things that God is calling you to put off. He, he opens his gracious arms, loving, just want to return back to him. So remember that, teens. Remember that. That was something I struggled with when I was a teenager all the time. I could not tell my parents anything because I was so afraid of what they would say, what God would say. And I, I wasn't allowing the truth of the gospel to dictate how I felt. Um, now, guys, along, along kind of the same lines in regards to um, putting things off, you might say, Mr. Sarita, okay, so I, I, I know that there are things that are very obvious that I shouldn't be doing. Scripture is very clear. My parents have instructed me. They've trained me. You know, like they, they, are, they are leading me towards Jesus. Um, what about those things that are like, I don't know. They're kind of up in the air. They're not really inherently sinful on the surface. For example, um, should I date? right now or should i hang out with this person or that person should i watch this movie should i go to college what college should i go to should i eat this food should i do and then you know you fill in the blank there are times where overtly on the surface doing something in itself is not inherently sinful and so what do we do with that what do we do like clearly god uh in his word is calling us to put off things that are idolatry but i Mr. Street, I can't tell if something's idolatry. This moment is just, I don't know. I just, I can't. 
Um, during these moments, we need to be grounded, regardless of whether it's obviously evil or not obvious yet, we need to be grounded in God's word. We need to be grounded in God's word, allowing the conscience that God is giving you to provide help. And additionally, praying and asking for the wisdom that God encourages in James 1.5, that if you lack wisdom, ask, and he gives to those without reproach. He just gives. He's willing because that's the penance that he, he desires. So grounded in God's word, praying for help, Okay, so those, those are, I guess, the, the third one I would say, so in addition to, again, getting God's word, praying, is asking godly people in your life to help. Um, again, one of the biggest things, as I mentioned before, is to, to, to let you believe that, that ultimately you're better off alone. You're better off with yourself. You know, if you want to get things done right, you gotta trust yourself. And that is not biblical at all. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. There are people in your life who desire to help you. Your parents, surely. Us, surely. So many people around you, um, we are foolish to not take advantage of the help that's around us. And so, again, in those moments where you're thinking to yourself, hmm, um, should I do this? Being in God's word, hearing from God, praying first to just have the Holy Spirit help you if you're a Christian here, just just to give you the discernment, the wisdom to make a decision, and then asking others around you. God uses the people around you who know the word as well, and that's huge. One of the biggest things that I know that the struggle is like, oh, I'll just ask anyone. Well, guys, someone who isn't in Christ is not fixed on the things of God. It says right here, again, if you are have been raised with Christ, set your thing, you know, seek the things that are above, set your minds on things that are above. And someone who's not a Christian is not setting their mind on things that are above. So you can't expect to get kind of godly uh, above wisdom from someone who has their, their head focused here and their eyes focused here on this life, temporal, not in the future. So think about that. Anytime you're like, well, I can trust this person. Think about who they are trusting and they're not trusting the God, the Savior who knows all. So, um, um, so, so yeah, so three things. Again, getting in God's word, praying, asking people. Um, here are some additional questions to ask yourself. Just another little snippet from The Pursuit of Holiness um, in the same chapter. He says four questions to ask yourself. Again, these are not exhaustive. I'm sure you can ask more questions. But, again, if you're coming to that place where you're just like, I don't know, I need wisdom. Um, four questions. Um, question number one, is it helpful physically, spiritually, mentally is it helpful physically spiritually mentally the scripture that's referenced here is first corinthians six twelve, which says that everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial so again is it helpful phys- physically spiritually mentally number two does it bring me under its power does it bring me under its power in other words is it one of those times where you say to yourself, I, I grip this so much that if you tell me that I can't have it, there's going to be a problem. Meaning to say, if I don't have this, then this. You don't understand, Mr. Street. If I don't have this, I need this. That dependency. Does it have you under its power? Again, 1 Corinthians 6.12, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Question number three. Does it hurt others? 
And that only not, that, that doesn't mean you, uh, like, directly could be indirectly hurting others. Does what you're participating in have uh, negative effects, kind of that have ripple effects, if you will? Again, does it uh, hurt others? 1 Corinthians 8.13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Does what you potentially do hurt others? Because it will cause somebody else to stumble. And then final question is, which is, I kind of, this is the trump card. This is it right here. Does it glorify God? Does it, does it glorify God? Or does it glorify myself? Does it glorify something else in our culture? First Corinthians 10.31. So whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 17 says right here, and whatever you do in word or deed, in Colossians, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, is it helpful? Does it bring me under its power? Does it hurt others? Does it glorify God? Just some, some questions to ask. And I encourage you to pray. Man, prayer is so good. Um, such wonderful things that God reveals in prayer and, and just enjoying his word. Um, so, guys, all of these questions ultimately lead us to the third point. So we talked, again, we talked about uh, remembering our union. We talked about putting off. Now we're talking about putting on Christ. These, these questions are seeking to mine out what ultimately pleases God. And so in, in, in verses 10 through 15, this is what it says. It says, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen and holy, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. So what we see here is that we, as we actively turn from sin and destruction, we must actively pursue Christ. There's, you can't, we can't be in the middle ground. There's no man's land is just as good as dead. To be, to be kind of neutral is just as good as dead because we are not actively pursuing our fortress, our stronghold, the one who is, uh, the, the, our identity that Paul talks about in the first four verses. And so we see this contrasting list of godliness that comes into place that kind of contrasts very sharply the list that was that appeared in the previous section of compassionate hearts again these all these things not only have uh, effects of our relationship with god but with others and if you're a christian i want you to again i just want you to note this these are beautiful truths if you're struggling with this whole idea like this just sounds like i'm doing stuff mr serity i want me to do stuff no 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 verse verse 12 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you know that if you are a Christian, you are holy and beloved? Amen. Do you know that? Do you know that? And, and, and not only do you know it because it's on paper, but do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you say that, that? Yes, that truth is for me as a Christian. I am a chosen one. I am holy. And you might think to yourself, Mrs. Sarita, but again, I don't think, I don't feel like I'm holy. I don't even love myself. Um, well, that's irrelevant. (laughs) 
That is irrelevant. And the reason why is because we often live in a culture that says we need to forgive ourselves. We need to love ourselves. And that is not biblical. We need to be forgiven. And if you are a Christian, you have been forgiven. And we have a, a definitive holiness, one that has already been granted because of the perfect life of Christ, life, death, and resurrection. And now we have this, this opportunity to live in what's called a progressive holiness, to become more like Jesus, who is holy. And by the Holy Spirit's power, you can say no to disobedience and say yes to obedience. You got to understand that, guys. And this, this is something that I have a hard time. I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around. Anytime I see an opportunity for the flesh, an opportunity to sin, I often struggle with realizing that I have the, the power through the Holy Spirit to say no. I can say no to that thing. People who aren't Christians don't have that power. They, they are controlled by. Now, you might say, oh, well, Mr. Sarita, there, there are plenty of people who aren't Christians. They do good things. Guys, but that's that's not what pleases God. That's not what pleases God. The finished work of Jesus Christ, faith in that pleases God. That's what pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so you might be impressed by the works of people, but but to, to God, it's, it's not impressive. It's not impressive. Obedience unto the Lord that's done to glorify the Lord in light of what Christ has already done, that that, that brings him much joy and gladness. And so... Again, guys, all these things, I'll ask the same question. Do you feel like your life reflects these traits of, of being compassionate, having kindness and humility and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you? Again, another, another repeat of what has already taken place so that it motivates us to also forgive. I know that's, that's hard for me. Uh, being, being with, um, being married and having an additional family added, can be hard because you're so used to having your own family, you know how things operate, but when you now enter another family and someone offends you, rubs you the wrong way, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, well, now I can make exceptions to that because, well, they're not really my family. We start making these exceptions. We say, I can do this sometimes. And so we start going to those habits talked about in verse 5, 8, and 9. I can make exceptions to God's rule, and God's, God's not giving us that opportunity here. He says that we must forgive. And we must put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So again, guys, just just by way of of kind of closing here, guys, um, again, Christians establish habits of holiness. um, And I'd be the the, the first to say that I have this all together. Um, I... um, uh, I think that being a Christian in this culture is exceedingly difficult. And we need the grace of God and his Holy Spirit to help us to get through and finish. Where it talks about, in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One day, everything will be made new and be made right. And and and, and we will praise Jesus forever but until then we pursue holiness until then we give it 100 percent, 110 percent. we 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 use what christ has done as the motivation to then let others see that and that's what we're really going to be focused on next month is how do how, how does our holiness affect others what so i, I live in my christian life mr sarita but but then there's 
there's so-and-so who's in my school or so-and-so who's on my team who doesn't want to pursue holiness. What do I have to do about that? Because I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure me out. How am I supposed to affect his life? So we're going to talk about that next month, about what it means to have our holiness uh, in, in infiltrate an unholy and ungodly culture and ungodly people and even those who might even be in your family. It doesn't have to be just a, a teammate. It doesn't have to be a friend at school. Um, I'll close with this, this, uh, this quote, guys. Uh, this is uh, from Thomas Watson. He's a Puritan preacher. I don't really know much about him, but I love this quote. Okay, So I'll just be honest. And most people say, oh, yeah, I read his book. I didn't read any of his books. Um, just I love this quote uh, because it's, it was said to me, I remember, in college. It's very, very short. It says, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. In other words, we need to build a distaste for sin and a better taste for Savior in Christ. That when it comes our way, it's, it's like what we, what we might uh, view as what we ate as a child, you know, Mr. Siri and I were just talking about this the other day, how when we were kids we used to eat like this cheese that came in the little package and you used to take a little little plastic red thing and you put it on the crackers and it's like cheese whiz and it's like, that is disgusting right now. Can't even imagine eating that stuff. Dunkaroos, please stop. Like all that stuff, it's gross. Oh, it's disgusting. And yet that was maybe what was once appealing at an earlier part of my life and then over time with maturity and understanding and having a better palate for things that are probably better for me um I won't say anything about the Oreos um that's right um and, that, and that's really the same thing when it comes to our, our what we palate and, and find palatable as Christians we become having a distaste the moment it hits our tongue spiritually speaking we we expel it we vomit it out because it is so gross and we know that it doesn't glorify God and so that, that takes, that, that, that takes time. And God is so gracious to provide His Holy Spirit. So, uh, He doesn't say, you need to have this done now. Um, He's just so good, so kind with His steadfast love towards us. Um, and through it all, we dive into God's Word, we pray, and allow the body of Christ to help us. So, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, and then I'll just give just a small bit of directions for our closing time with, with parents and teens together. So let me pray for us. Uh, God, thank you so much for this time to get into your Word. Um, we are dependent on you, God. Um, we are so, so needy. And yet, God, you provided everything that we needed through Christ because of his life, his death, his resurrection, those who have repented and put their faith and trust to you. God, this is not all that we have to look forward to. We have an eternity to look forward to in which one day we will be like you. We will be uh, we will be in a different state in which we don't have to deal with indwelling sin, which plagues us, and, and Satan who, who tempts us in the world that allures us, God, with our eyes and our senses. God, we look forward to that day, but until then, God, give us the strength and give us the resolve to live lives that are pleasing to you. Allow us to get into your word, God. Allow us to give us, give us opportunities to learn from your scriptures. And for those first teens here, um, who feel like, I, I just can't get in. I pray that you would just, even, even if it is tomorrow, getting into the word for our Sunday service and then reading more, just bit by bit, God, I pray that you would allow their palate to become more savoring of that word and just eat of it. And it's this buffet that they can just enjoy. Um, God, continue to protect our teens from this world. Um, 
but thank you for not removing us from this world. God, that you have a purpose for why we're in this world, not of this world, but that we might showcase uh, your glory to these people around us and that they might glorify our God who's in heaven and that many people will be saved. I pray that you would save those who are not here saved already by your grace and those who would be future crossfire attenders. God, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, CB, do you want me to give directions for your okay. Um So guys, I don't, I don't have anything really formally planned, but I know after that, a lot of times there's kind of a gun, uh, a lot of what even Mr. Edder was talking about last week involves maybe some kind of need to uh, decompress or kind of get things out. Um, and so what I'm going to ask is for teens and parents just to connect um, and, and pray, really pray. I, I, again, I have no, there's no expectation of needs. Okay, this is going to be the day where I tell my parents everything or something that I'm dealing with. Or maybe you have that open relationship already, and that's great. You can maybe just kind of follow up. That's, that's great too. Um, but pray, pray, pray um, for your teen. And, and teens, I would love for you to pray for your parents because this message is not Crossfire's message. I didn't, there's no like header that says for Crossfire alone, um, for the teens alone. This 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 battle that goes on that you might be feeling, your parents are dealing with. Uh, and as we talked about in junior high social, they need prayer just as much as you. Sometimes maybe they would debate, maybe even more. Um, and so I, I would encourage you to pray for them. Um, Maybe, again, ask how you can pray for them. And if maybe they, they can't share anything at this present moment or maybe we can talk later, just just pray for them, okay? So we're just going to have this time of prayer in light of what God's word has uh, given to us, okay? So at this, and at that time, um, we can uh, close up, enjoy the snacks. Uh, girls, go to Miss, Mrs. Sarita after you're done to give her your address. And don't forget about the sign-up for the youth regional meeting, okay? All right? Thanks, guys.